Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years. Years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another episode of Mostly Lit. I'm here with... Derek Owusu. And I would say Alex, but Alex is away. He's away, he's gone to a christening. Yeah. Gone to get drunk at a christening. Is that what they do to get drunk at christenings? Everybody gets drunk at christenings. Oh, that's haram. That's not going down in my place. I mean, there's no christenings, but that's, that's not happening. Is, is there like a is there a similar thing, though, in, in so, Islam? Um, I don't know if it's... Well, actually, so... You know how, like, in Islam, there are things that you should do. There are things that you should do that you're, like, it's mandatory to do. And those, like, the things... pillars or... What well, yeah, the pillars it? are mandatory. Yeah. And it's called, and, like, praying and stuff. But then there are things that's called sunnah, where, like, the Prophet did that I think you can do. Mm-hmm. So in Islam, a baby gets named um, on their, on the seventh day. Yeah. Um, and on that seventh day, a lot of, like, certain things, like, it's a celebration and stuff. Yeah. So I guess that's a christening. Yeah, I guess but it is, yeah, of course. the christening is, yeah. of, like, when, when a baby is born... Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing that uh, that this, that's supposed to happen is you know the adhan, the call to prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, that that is whispered in the kid's ear, so it's the first thing that they hear when they're born. Really? Yeah. So the first oh, wow. thing they hear is God is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, every yeah. like every time a kid is born, like the dad will like go to the side holding and just whisper those words in his ear. It's literally like in the hospital. Yeah, like straight. You have to do it straight away. That wow, okay. I mean, it's so amazing. That Anyways, is. That is. So, <laughs> anyway, yeah, <it's> <laughs> yeah, that's a little. Um, so let's introduce our. Yeah, we have a, we have an amazing co-host with us today. Please introduce yourself because I can't even do you justice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody! This is Patrice Khan Colors, hailing from Los Angeles. One of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, and I just wrote a book called uh, "When They Call You a Terrorist: A Black Lives Matter Memoir" with my co-author Asha Bendele. I and mean, I'm here with the crew, the I mostly mean, lit crew. Yeah. yeah, thanks for joining. Yeah, us. like yesterday, I said, <laughs> I said, I said to everyone yesterday, I was like, "We're having an amazing guest tomorrow." <laughs> All right, yeah, we did. Yeah, and yeah. like when I saw that email pop, I said, "What?" Mm. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here. Honestly, like I, I just, I'm in awe. Oh, like you have, sense. like you've come to fangirl. I have. I even, I even <laughs> was telling her like before. I was like, I think I might fangirl. No, because mm. like. Black Lives Matter has just changed the game, I think, in terms of yeah. like putting issues out there in the open mm. yeah. and not being apologetic mm-hmm. and just being like, this is the shit that is going down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we just no longer stand for it. Like, yeah. We're just not here for it. Mm. And I think that's, that's amazing. Thank so you. thank you for like doing that. <laughs> you know, it must not be easy with all the like. The criticisms and and just all of those things that I see, it must not be easy. To exactly do that. with the title of your book, when they call you a terrorist, exactly. that must have been. I mean, I remember when I first heard that they were calling Black Lives Matter a terrorist organization. It's kind of just like what? Yeah, it's really confusing. Yeah. Um, I mean, so it must have been extremely. Actually, well, of course, you've written about it. it's extremely frustrating, and you're just kind of like, what the fuck? Yeah, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was disturbing. It yeah. was. Um, I think for. For us and for me, uh, and I'll, 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 I'll read a segment of the book that talks a little mm-hmm. bit about it, but I just understood that the moment that they started calling us terrorists and a terrorist organization, that they were they were trying to create a situation where they could 
shut down our movement, mm. arrest our folks. And this has happened time and time again in Black-led movements across the globe, right, where mm. our folks end up being labeled terrorists, or we end up being labeled unpatriotic. And, and so this was, um, you know, Black Lives Matter, the moment where we started to be seen as, as enemies of the state. But before we get stuck on... We'd have to do it in the normal, like... Stuck in, stuck in. Can you just... It's the term is stuck in. He does this all the time. I'm, I I'm teaching you it. the idioms. Wow. What, because, like, English isn't my first language? Yeah, stuck in. Stuck on, stuck in. You know in. what, from now on, I'm going to say stuck on. Okay, fine. Thank you, just so that I can different <laughs> Anyways, how's your week, Derek? The uh, week's been good. It's yeah. been all right, yeah. Um, obviously, leading up to the live show. Yeah. And then... um. We obviously, well, tomorrow we're going to go and watch Wrinkle in Time. Yeah, really excited which, about that. Which should be great as well. Um, nothing, nothing. Oh, we had the live show. Yes. That, which was that good. thing happened. That thing happened, <laughs> which was which was good. Good yeah. fun. Great turnout. Um, again, obviously, thanks to everybody who came down to support. Thanks you know. to Waterstones for, like, hosting. Yeah, I always say, like, it's strange that people really come down to Waterstones just to listen to us chat shit about books. Yeah. But, <laughs> well, I mean, they it's do, ridiculous. so. I was looking outside, looking at everyone. I was like, what? Yeah, like you mean you travel? People were like, yeah, I travelled all the way from Manchester. I travelled from like from Birmingham, yeah, Birmingham, and I was just like, whoa, yeah, like that's yeah. insane. It was one thing I was trying to avoid because I say so many controversial things up on the stage. Mm-hmm. When we finished, I tried to sneak out the back so that no one would <laughs> try and talk to you. No, not not I didn't want him to talk to me, but I knew there was going to be like, well, what you said with the, about this, I don't agree with it, yeah. and then I'll kind of be stuck. Yeah. And of course, it happened. <laughs> uh-huh. They they came for me. What and they, did they say? They circled me because of what I said about Black Panther. They didn't like it. Oh yeah. Um. So Nobody yeah, likes that. they really came to yeah to yeah. circle me. But I mean, yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Week's been fine. Um. And yeah, just reading and blah, 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 blah. Patrice, how was your week? Like, I know you have been busy. <laughs> well, <laughs> I landed here, I think, on Thursday, I think. You think? The days. Because um, y'all are a day ahead of us. So I landed here and hit the ground running. Mm. I did um, I did BBC with... No, wait. That's not, I didn't do BBC. I did Channel 4 with Jon Snow. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, okay. And then I did Hard Talk, mm-hmm. um, which will be interesting. I'm curious what y'all think about that segment. Uh, then I tried to go to sleep, mm-hmm. but I didn't. I went to bed at four in the morning, woke up at 5.30, went and did Good Morning Brit- Britain. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you saw that, where I rolled my whole eyes on the show. I was That's how tired I was. Yeah. <laughs> one of the people that anchors asked me about All Lives Matter. He was a fine anchor, but I rolled all my eyes and oh I was like God. so embarrassed mm. because I rolled my eyes on national television and it was very obvious. I think a couple of people have done that on, on Good Morning Britain. <laughs> wait, wait, Chimamanda did that on a US show, didn't she? <laughs> no, it was a UK show. Was it a UK show? Yeah, yeah. Now, it's like a whole meme, just yeah, her being... Of, her rolling her eyes. <laughs> That's basically how I found out I rolled my eyes yeah. someone put it on Twitter and was like, look at Patrice. I love it. Rolled her all I'm gonna eyes. I'm going to go and find it. <laughs> it's going to be my backdrop now. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just did a bunch of I did a bunch of press uh, yesterday and closed the night off at uh, Wow event. Yeah, at South um, Bank. Yeah, at South Bank Center at eight, 8 p.m. I think by that time I was just like, it's it, that's it. It was mm. just the raw me. People got the raw, cursing on stage and everything. It was, but it was. It's been that's lovely. that's the best. That's the best. Those <laughs> yeah. are the best kind of uh, interviews and talks. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. when you're just tired of it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, the pu- the public image drops and you just yourself. <laughs> exactly. You just. Someone was like, someone was laughing because they're like, you were leaning on stage and you had your shawl on holding yourself. I was like, I was tired trying to keep it together. (laughs) So yeah, that's that's how the week has been. What about you, Dory? How you been? Ah, like week's been hellish because of work and stuff, but Mm. otherwise I'm a bit exhausted. I feel like I need to sleep. Mm. Um, Even when I went home... I didn't really sleep. I was just up, like, yeah. just trying to read up on things. When does it When does it get to a point at work where, like, you you stop being the send out? Do you know Agreed. what I mean? I'm not saying the send out as in you go get coffee, but to the point where they can't they can't they can't message you at six in the morning and say mm. come in at seven. When does that stop? Or does it never stop? Um, I think once I finish my training contract, right. So in around eighteen months, um. Wow. Obviously, I'm just moving into seats, but you're never really a call. Like, nobody ever tells you to go and get coffee or anything. Yeah, 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 I did. yeah, yeah. But of it's more so like I'll get a an email at like 2 a.m. being like, oh, we really need you early in tomorrow. And I'm mm. like, well, how am I going to find, like, I'm not going to be awake at that time to know that. Yeah. So I had, that happened one of them this week, and I had to get an Uber into work because I woke up, like, getting ready 
And then yeah. I see my me- little messages. Oh, please get in for eight. I was like, well, it's 7.30. <laughs> do you get in trouble if you don't? Um, or do they get a bit funny with they get, you? They'll just be like, you should have checked. But I'm like, that's unreasonable. So, yeah. Being a being a trainee lawyer is tough. Yeah. Oh, you're a trainee yeah. lawyer. It's a... Uh, it's a, it's a, it's mad. I, I worked for like, I think, 17, 18 hours on Tuesday. What? Yeah, so I got into work at eight and I left around three, four. Do you get paid overtime? No, you just get a salary. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I'm actually exhausting. I feel like I was, like yesterday at the show, I was mm. running on adrenaline. Yeah. And as soon as the show finished, I crashed. You have to, did you have to sign a waiver when you first started to say... You're contracted for this amount of hours, but we can tell yeah, you. Yeah, that's to... the contract. It's more so like your contract is for like nine thirty to five thirty, but it's when yeah, you're yeah, client yeah, needs yeah, you, yeah. you just have to you know make it work. Okay. But um, but yeah, man, like I'm crashing right now. The adrenaline is just still there. Yeah. I literally cannot. I'm jittery because I'm like mm. I'm happy, mm. but then I'm also really tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm like, hi. Mm. <laughs> so hopefully it'll get better. So you're not reading anything. We'll start with you. So what are you reading? Um, what am I reading? I'm still reading. Children of Blood and Bone. Mm. Oh, yes. But mm. I don't even want to finish it, to be honest with you. Is it that good? I think it's that good. Wow. I really think it's that good. And I, 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 it's rare for me to... Like, normally when I get stuck in a book, I go crazy. And then halfway through, I'm like, mm, it's not really that good. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> this time, I'm like, it's still good. It's, it's still good, yeah. Like it's and That's I'm always sh- a nice feeling. Yeah, like, I'm mm. actually shocked because I, I'm a bit of a pessimist when I go into books I'm always like oh is this going to be a waste of my time you especially know? when there's a lot of hype exactly but this time you're saying the hype is justified I feel like she's she's done something big especially mm. for young black kids mm. um, I don't want to say too much because I think I have already <laughs> and I keep on re- reiterating the same no, thing it's fine it's fine but she's done a big thing mm. and I feel like that story is going to get kids excited I hope kids really read it I feel like, like every yeah. parent Kara should just be getting young black kids. You must love it a lot. You're smiling a lot. I am because I'm so like <laughs> I'm just I'm just imagining myself reading this. Like, yeah, I feel like I needed to read this. Oh, you're imagining reading it as a child. Like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Just the excitement, the magic of it is mm. just. What is it called again? I forget. Children of Blood and Bone. Okay, mm. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna get. I, I've been seeing it on my Insta. Yeah, but. yeah. No, it's. I think it needs to be read. Okay. I just want everyone to read it so this girl can get her coin, more coin. <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Patrice? You reading anything at the moment? I'm reading um, "Eloquent Rage" by Brittany Cooper. She's a, a. She also got published with, and on the U.S. side, St. Martin's Press. We have the mm. same publisher, mm. and she's a, this a brilliant black feminist who you should follow her on social. Hilarious. She actually created the Crunk uh, Feminist Collective, mm. and she just wrote a book called "Eloquent Rage," really mapping um, black women's rage and how important it is. Ooh. And it's just lovely. And she's on—I think she just finished her book tour, <clears throat> or she may still be on it. Um, and then I'm reading some that aren't haven't been published yet. Just okay. um, mm. some books that my my folks are about to publish. This is a, like the year of black authors. This is it, right? And I feel like it's both the stateside and the. British side as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I a lot of black women yes. are just doing amazing things on yeah. each, like on either side of like the, the Atlantic. Yeah, true. I mean, even what I'm reading at the moment is kind of like a, just a little sampler. Yeah. You know, the Slay in Your Lane sampler. Yeah. So it's like um, people who aren't familiar with it. Slay in Your Lane is like the black girl Bible written by two best friends, um, mm. uh, Yomi Adegoke and Elizabeth Yuvenevene. Yub- I, I struggle to pronounce the name. It's, it's easy, but it's hard. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's just amazing. There's like a dating, cha- there's a dating chapter in there where they're literally talking about black British men who prefer to date white women, oh, no. um, and the way they articulate that. Mm. Um, and it's always like a put down to black women before they can. Do you know what I mean? And it's really, it's really interesting. I think that when when the book comes out. Although it's obviously the black the black girl Bible slain your lane, I think a lot of men will read it and kind of wake up and just be like, okay, you know what, we're fucking up right now. Do you know what I mean? Because <coughs> um, I, I really do, I I really enjoy books like that that kind of make me like turn in on myself and just think, okay, wow, I didn't, I'm, I actually do this thing and I didn't realize mm-hmm. that I, that I did it. Um, I had the same feeling when I read um, the Will to Change and I read it and I was kind of like, wow, like no one has kind of articulated this kind wow, of experience. Wow, you're putting Slay Your Lane next to 
Yeah, of course. Is yeah. It, is it? Okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah, why not? I mean, any, any book that makes you really turn in on yourself yeah. and think about your behavior and the way you act towards other people. Yeah. So it's a great book. Mm. Just, I mean, that's what it's supposed to do. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm reading at the moment. It's just, it's just two, it's a two chapter sampler. The book obviously comes out in July. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't wait to read it. But um, yeah, that's what I've been reading. I haven't had time. That's why I've had to pick up the samplers yeah. more. So yeah. But yeah, so moving on. Stuck in. To the main topic, there's oh yeah, because we don't have Alex. Yeah, no Alex today. Yeah. Um. So Patrice, would you like to just read an excerpt from the book yes. for us? There was a petition that was drafted and circulated all the way to the White House. It said we were terrorists. We who, in response to the killing of that child, said Black Lives Matter. The document gained traction during the first week of July 2016, after a week of protests against the back-to-back police killings of Alton Sterling and Baton Rouge and Philando Castile in Minneapolis. At the end of that week, on July 7th in Dallas, Texas, a sniper opened fire during a Black Lives Matter protest that was populated with mothers and fathers who brought their children mm-hmm. along to proclaim we have a right to live. The sniper, identified as 25-year-old Micah Johnson, an Army reservist home from Afghanistan, holed up in a building on the campus of El Centro College after killing five police officers and wo- wounding 11 others, including two protesters. And in the early morning hours of July 8th, 2016, he became the first individual ever to be blown up by local law enforcement. They used a military-grade bomb against Micah Johnson and programmed a robot to deliver it to him. No jury, no trial, no patience like the patients shown the killers who gunned down nine worshippers in Charleston or moviegoers in Aurora, Colorado. Of course, we will never know what his motivations really were, and we will never know if he was mentally unstable. We will only know for sure that the single organization to which he ever belonged was the U.S. Army. And we will remember that white men who were mass killers in Aurora and Charleston were taken alive, and one was fed fast food on the way to jail. We will remember that most of the cops who are killed in this nation are killed by white men who are taken alive. Thank you. Amazing. You know, it's, it's so strange sitting next to you and hearing you read it because I've, I've listened to the audio book. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really you're like, weird. Wait. You're like, I've heard that voice. Yeah, exactly. Ear. Yeah, yeah. Um, but great. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, I just wanted to ask, what at what point did you decide that I need to write a book and document oh, all of this? Yeah. <laughs> well, someone actually came up to me in 2015. I was on Martha's Vineyard. Um First time ever going to Martha's Vineyard. Um, I'm so ridiculous that when I first got invited to Martha's Vineyard, I assumed I was in California. And I remember someone who was booking my travel. I was like, you know, I thought it was going to be like a same day flight. And she was like, girl, this is in the East Coast. And I was like, I I didn't know. So I got to Martha's Vineyard. It's this it's a very interesting place in the U.S. Um, It's where the first pilgrims landed, first colonizers. And Plymouth Rock is there. And um, black folks have been coming to going to Martha's Vineyard for, since the 60s. So it's also like this place where it's like a big black population and they do this like, big film festival and they do this big events every summer. So it's kind of like the in thing. I had no idea until I got there. So I get there and I ended up on a panel. This is before Issa Rae blew up. I'm on a panel with Issa Rae and the actor Danny Glover. And after I'm done, uh, um editor from a big publishing house comes up to me and said, I think you have a book inside of you. It's like one of those moments. Mm. And I said, oh yeah, okay, cool. (laughs) And uh, I had a meeting with her the next day and I just, I kept it pushing. I was like, I'm gonna go back to doing what I do, you know, Mm. go organize and be on the grind of Black Lives Matter. But then um, as the presidential elections started to unfold itself and Trump and Hillary and all the folks who were running and it, the circus started to sort of develop. I was like, I think this might be an important moment to really clarify what Black Lives Matter is. And then obviously, once they started calling us terrorist organization, I was like, okay, it's I, a must. This is a, this is necessary. Yeah. I didn't actually go with that publisher, but she 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 really planted the seed mm-hmm. um, that I should publish. Okay. So what was the writing process like? Um, so Ash, so why, I think the other good question is like why I chose to get a co-author because different people decide different things. Mm. Um, I called my good friend Dream Hampton. I go to my friends for good counsel and she mm. said, 
I said, do you think I should write this book? Because I was worried. You know, I was like, why do? Why would I write a book? Like, there's lots of people in our movement. Why is it important? Mm. Why is it necessary? I don't want to be seen as like the, like, you know, we are really against like this idea of like one individual leader. Will this sort of go against my beliefs? And so I had a lot to kind of struggle with. Yeah. And so I went to Dream. I said, should I write a book? And she said, absolutely, you should, you know. Lots of people can write books, Patrice. You don't have to like feel like if you write the book, then people are going to be upset about it. So she said, you should go talk to Asha because Asha has written like six books. I said, okay. So I go to Asha. Mm. And I'm like talking to her. I was like, so, you know, someone told me that I should write this book. And what do you think? And she co- interrupted me. She's like, I'm helping you. Like, mm. hands down. I got you. Like, we go about write the most fire book ever. <laughs> <laughs> when you meet Asha, you'll see. She's, like, she's hella, hella gully. She's like, we go write the most fire book. She's from, like, Brooklyn. And she's like, I got you, girl. I got you. <laughs> and she was serious. Like, mm. she was, she, she, like, set me on a schedule. And we were basically meeting, like, every single morning. Um, pretty much five days a week. Oh, wow. You know, um, my six o'clock in the morning, um, her 9 a.m. And we would talk and we would write and we would talk and we were right. Yeah. We, we had, you know, running Google, Google Doc. Um, we wrote the, the, the actual proposal probably in like a three month span. Mm. Um, and then we got it. We, we went to a bidding war. Mm. Uh, never, ever been a part of that kind of process before is quite fascinating mm. <laughs> and um and then, everyone wanted everyone was like oh yeah i had a lot of offers i was very very blessed very grateful yeah and a lot of black edit black women editors who are like oh this is the book yeah. i've been waiting for you yeah. know because uh, i gotta edit, they gotta edit a lot of stuff but i ended up going with saint martin's with monique patterson who's amazing editor and they asked us to get it to them we we gave them the proposal in march they wanted it by the summer, which is oh, wow. crazy. That's a quick turnaround. How much had you written at that point? Four chapters. Oh, man. Okay. So we we went wrote down. our asses off. Mm. Yeah, we went in. We went real in. I'd, some days I'd be like, Asha, I can't do it. Because it's intense. The book yeah. is intense. It's not like no light read, yeah. you know? Which means I had to really like unearth the shit I've been through and talk about it and process it and write about it and... Uh, had lots of therapy appointments during that time, and mm. and um, but we did it, and I'm very, very, very proud of the work. Mm. Yeah, very proud of it. Um, just going back to what you were saying about the things that you had to drudge up yeah. to be able to really write about it properly and honestly, you obviously talk a lot about your childhood in this book, and one of the things that hit me was the schools that you went to and the different types of schools mm-hmm. that were there, you know, there was, where is it? Millie? Millican. Millican, right? Mm-hmm. And the different types of schools that were there, I think, you know, the, the one school that looked like a prison yeah, and the other school that looked like a school. <clears throat> yeah. And it's so weird, like, thinking about London schools. We don't, I don't know what school in London has, like, metal detectors. Do you think they're about? No, we, no, of course not we don't i don't think any school that i've been to yeah as metal detectors but obviously that's just because difference in like yeah. in gun laws and things like yeah. that there's there's no need but obviously like the way you contrasted you know the white school with the with the black schools when mm. realistically the way you the way you put it was the white schools probably needed policing <laughs> <For real. laughs> More than the do you know what i mean um which was like yeah really really interesting one, one thing i wanted to ask is that what, because there's so much there's a lot of trauma in the book yeah. and um you know when you're uh, writing about your father and when you got the call and then obviously you, you know your brother i just wanted to ask what was the most what was the hardest thing for you to write about um i think the hardest chapter was the chapter uh, um unearthing and and having to remember um my brother going into the courtroom mm. um, and he was in the middle of that manic episode and they brought him, you know, brought him in on a gurney with a spit mask. And I think that was like the hardest chapter to write about, mostly because outside of actually being in that situation in that courtroom with my friends, I had not really processed that moment. I, I, mm. I think 
you know, it happened. My mother and I sort of dealt with it. Yeah. My friends were in the courtroom with me. But having to write about it and tell someone else about it um, was just challenging and just so sad. Mm -hmm. And also because my brother, you know, he still struggles with mental illness. He's going to struggle for the rest of his life. His um, just knowing what he's been through and what he continues to go through. Yeah. That was that was really hard. Yeah. I feel like I sensed a lot of humiliation that American law enforcement put on black lives to the point where you begin to maybe think that you're lesser than Mm -hmm. when an organization that is there to protect you is now something that you actively fear, even if you have done absolutely nothing wrong. Yeah. And I think the perpetuation of that, like it really makes me sad in that where are we going to see a change if the attitudes towards black people in law enforcement is not changing? And how do we go about changing that? Yeah. Like, how do we go about changing that? Um, We are. We're in it. I, I don't mm. think it happens overnight. Mm. Um, the unfortunate reality is law enforcement, I think not just in the States, but across the world is a law enforcement that's created to police and militarize and occupy black and brown communities. And so um, law enforcement isn't created for rich, wealthy people and mm. unless it's to protect them from, you know, yeah. black and brown yeah. people. It's not to police them. Um, it's not to um, repress them. Yeah, it's there. So so part of the work is to um, demyth the uh, ways in which law enforcement has been seen as a hero. Mm. And so I don't know what UK TV is like, but in the US we have 15 million cop shows and every cop show cop mm. show is about a hero cop, you know, yeah. and what he's doing. And even with the crooked cops, it's a hero cop that mm. stops a crooked cop. And so there's this thing that has happened over the last 20 years where law enforcement has been glorified and they're, and they can be terrible people, right? But they have a, they, but they can be seen as terrible people or portrayed as terrible people on television, but they also have complicated lives. They're allowed mm. to seem as complicated. And this is the why, reason why they're terrible. And so that's the first work, right? Is to like, mm. we, we have to actually, we had to remind the public that cops lie. <laughs> cops plant shit on people. Mm-hmm. Cops, they don't rate people and like really clarify what's happening in our neighborhoods. And I think the second piece is like uh, law enforcement is the most protected um, oh, yeah. government agency. And uh, the next step is around what kinds of laws and policies do we have to develop that take their power away? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was, I was talking to a friend about how um, a lot of the times the reason why you know, if a cop gets, you know, on trial and you already know the outcome that they're going to be found not guilty. Mm. And it's that... If it even goes that far. Right? Mm -hmm. And if it's that idea of, oh, you know, they had a reasonable amount of fear, which is why they shot this black man or killed this black woman. And I think the discussion is, where does that fear come from? And what is reasonable fear? If reasonable fear is, you know, if, if the fear is you are scared of a black person, that's not reasonable. That's just you being absolutely damn racist. Mm -hmm. And you need to address that fear and Mm. stop yourself. Or I don't know what kind of training, some unbiased training that they they will give these people Mm. that will allow them to be like, you know what, you need to address your fear and and see where your fear comes from because your fear is costing people's lives. Yeah, it's it's not like the UK where, for example, if, for example, a police officer has kind of like some racist sentiments in the mm. station they go and put them on diversity training, training. <laughs> they, i don't think that that happens in the u.s probably because the way they see black people and the racism like you always talk about you talk a lot about um i believe was it hillary clinton who coined the phrase um super predator, super predator. Super predator. yeah exactly that's she popularized that i don't know if she coined it okay yeah um so they, that's really that's in their minds do you know yeah. what i mean um so it's it's it's, it's very very different um so a lot of the time when I, you know, when I 
read your book and when I read like uh, Huey Newton and Asata Shakur, it's really... Oh, did you read the autobiography? Sorry? Did you read the autobiography? Yeah. Oh, that was good. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, it's, it's, it's such a shock, you know, it's such a shock. And I, I get angry and I feel all of these kind of emotions and, and things like that. And when you see riots on TV, you know, I'm obviously behind my computer tweeting stuff. And then I have to really check myself and be like... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, I'm not there. I haven't experienced it. You know, I I was really annoyed by a lot of people saying that, oh, these people, you know, they're going and they're burning down their neighborhoods, but at the end of the day, they're going to do, they're going to have to walk through these neighborhoods. And I'm just like, okay, fair, but we're in the comforts of our home Mm -hmm. tweeting this stuff and they're experiencing it. Do you know what I mean? You can't really tell people, do you know what I I mean? We're not the ones there. Um, one one thing I did want to ask you is your relationship with your father. Um, do you feel like you never really lost hope in him because you understood the economic situation that he was living in and the way, obviously, the police treat you, the way America's <coughs> made, you know, not not made black men a certain way, but they it's, it's them cr- contributed yeah. to the way that they behave? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a good question because um, the one of the... F- one of the moments that my father was sent to prison, I think it was that moment when my mom told me and I was in high school, I actually was very upset with him, mm. very upset with him. And I called my other father, Alton um, Colors. I said, you know, I'm very upset with Gabriel and I was kind of processing with him and he he stopped me, which is rare. He's, he gives me a lot of, he, you know, he, he usually gives me a lot of space to talk and share. Mm. And he interrupted me and he said, he calls me mommy. He said, mommy, don't do that to him. Mm. You know, like he's been through a lot. And he just kind of checked me, like give him some compassion, um, which I was surprised because they didn't always have like the best relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I listened. That's the it. It made me listen to him more because I knew I know that like he, he knew something that I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I let I let it go. I mm. let it go. It was that easy. I was I think I was 16 years old. My mama told me that. You know, Gabe was going to prison. I talked to my pops, Alton, you know, complaining. And he just was like, let that go. And I was like, got it. Mm. And so I, and I'm glad. I'm very, very glad I let it go. Because I didn't know that, you know, who would know that you only, only have a short time with somebody. Um, and I, and I think if I would have kept a grudge, I wouldn't have spoken with him. I mm. wouldn't have written letters. We wouldn't have seen each other. I would have just been like, oh, that's that dude over there that, you know. I would have had all of the ways in which white people talk about black fathers in my head and, 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 and believing that. And that is so just untrue. Yeah. I wanted to also ask, how does it feel when a movement like, you know, Black Lives Matter, who are literally for black people, all black people, how does it feel when it gets backlash from the black community and people kind of say, you're not really about us. You're about other people. Do you know what I mean? Um, at first it stung. It was really painful. 
Um, especially when it was coming from black folks who I know would benefit a lot from Black Lives Matter and, and being a part of it. And also knowing that the work I'm doing isn't just for myself, you know, or, or my immediate community, but it's for black people around the world. And I think it was really hard to, it's been really hard to hear people sort of be like, oh, you have a gay agenda or Black Lives Matter doesn't care about black men. They only care about black women or. Mm. Which, um, yeah, which I find just. Astonishing because yeah. let's be clear, like the movement started because a black boy named Trayvon Martin yeah. was killed by, by a vigilante named George Zimmerman. Like point blank mm-hmm. movement started because it, someone killed a black man black boy so so this idea that you know because we lift up women or queer people or mm. you know um, trans folks that we are all of a sudden not not black you know it's not a black organization I think is really disturbing and it speaks more to people's own homophobia or their own um, issues around other types of black people than it does about Black Lives Matter mm. I was um, thinking about the types of men that you portrayed and how criminalized they were before they even formed their own identity. Mm -hmm. The fact that young black boys cannot go and meet up outside without Mm -hmm. being called gangbangers. Um, And it reminded me of, so where I live, um, back in the day, there'd be a bunch of boys who'd be outside and, um, I remember my aunt would be like, oh God, you know, because she'd had internalized the idea of, yes, black boys, when they're outside, they're up to no good. Right. And the police, the the local police station opened up Mm. and completely wiped them away. Of course. Mm. Um, That's probably why they opened up. Exactly. Because there was a lot of stop and search going on and then they were like, you know what, they're up to no good. Yes. And why? Because a lot of white... um, residents mm-hmm. were calling the police of being course. like these boys are outside yes yeah. having absolutely no clue what they were doing yes. they could just be chilling outside exactly but they were gangbangers yeah when a group of white boys do it it's just you know boys playing yes mm. um and how did i guess your mother or the women in your family deal with that and what kind of things did they talk about with the boys did they it, it was it something that they had internalized as well like you know don't play outside or was it just this is what's going to happen and did they have that talk that um a lot of black women have have with their sons mm-hmm. just to ensure that they get home safely mm-hmm. well there's two points i want to make on this question i think the first one is um that there are more similar similarities between black people here and the UK and over in the US than I think we sometimes think. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because there's a narrative that the US is worse, mm-hmm. right? It's, or, or there's a narrative that the UK is not as bad, oh, um, that we can often get caught up as black people in the idea that the real type of racism only exists in the US mm. happening to black Americans. And I, I, I've, because I'm, you know, the founder of a global network, and I deeply believe in the global black diaspora. I think it's always important to know what's happening in a, in a person's country. So I know that, you know, at this point, 1,649 people have been killed in custody, police custody, you know, since 2000, and there's been no convictions. Mm. Um, and I mean, just disgusting. I know that there's been a significant amount of black people. Uh, with mental illness, you know, in this country that have been completely criminalized. Yeah. Mm. Sounds just like the U.S. Yeah. I know that, you know, black youth are three times more likely to, to be excluded from their schools. Sounds like the U.S. And so I just, I, I've been trying to really on this tour, I want to make sure that I'm coming not to be the, the American that says it's worse in the U.S. It's bad in the U.S. But I also am trying to um, remind black folks, like, don't let the narrative that the U.S. is worse off, that you're better here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because there's there's some yeah. shit happening here yeah. in this country to black people yeah. Yeah. and black migrants, you know. Um, and I just think it's important that we have this conversation. I, I was talking to folks yesterday about the uh, women who are on hunger strike right now mm-hmm. at Yarlswood Detention Center and um, how their hunger strike is a call to action, you know. Yeah, I mean, um, they want the laws to change. Yes, but 
Yes. That's the only way that they can draw attention to, exactly. to themselves by, by know, being on hunger strike. Being on hunger yeah. strike. But I think it's an it's this is an important moment because the value of saying another country is worse off than yours means that you don't have to deal with what's happening in that country. Mm. And that is such, you know, I, I, we have a, um, we have obviously Black Lives Matter here in the United Kingdom. We also have Black Lives Matter in Canada and can, Canada does the same thing. Mm. You know, Canada is like, oh, we're not as bad. And so it means that Canada doesn't have to deal with its black issue, right? With its issue. So I just, I wanted to name that. Um, and then you asked me another question, but I went on a tangent, so I completely forgot about it. Um, <laughs> just in terms of the talk, I guess, that black... Yes. Was, yeah. So, of course, we all got the talk. Yeah. Um, not just black boys. I think that's an also important myth, myth buster here, which is Black Lives Matter started as an intervention to an idea that we were living in a post-racial society. Mm-hmm. Obama got into office. We all the white people were like, y'all got your black president. Racism's over. <laughs> like, yeah. aren't you so happy? Yeah. Are you still going to try to hold me accountable? Um, and we were like, yes, because racism isn't over. And clearly it's not. Because look at this young boy. He just got killed by the state, mm-hmm. um, by a vigilante. Um, but also we had to do another intervention, which was say her name. Yes. And say her name becomes important because the media in particular, every time we spoke to the media, they would always paraphrase our movement as Black Lives Matter, the fight to end police violence against black men. Mm. Mm. As if no police violence had ever happened to black to women. Black women yeah. And that is just so untrue. And so we started to have to name the names of black women and lift them up. The women who've been killed by the police, the women who've been killed by the state. And then obviously, you know, one of the biggest names because Sandra Bland. And so say her name is that intervention. And the talk is for all of us. And I think part of what happens in our culture is when we start to believe what really white people tell us about our conditions, we end up practicing that. Um, and so growing up, my mom sat us all down, all all of her kids. And obviously each gender gets related to differently, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we know that black trans women have the highest death rates, you know, highest, highest murders um, per, per population. Um, and so my mother would sit us down and she would, you know, talk to my brothers and talk to me and talk to my little sister. Mm-hmm. And it was just normal to be afraid of the police. It was normal to be afraid of the police. We were, you know, told to be afraid of the police. You know, always be polite. You know, for, to this day, when I see a, a police officer, I never mouth off a police officer. I think it's crazy when people do. Mm. Um, although we have the right to, you know, we, we actually are in our own rights to, you know, say, you know, I don't believe you should be stopping me. Yeah. But I, I am still, I still have that sort of, you know, tape in my head that's like, Patrice, be extra polite, you know, keep your hands out. I remember we got pulled over the other day or we were driving through some police um, thing uh, and and Los Angeles have checkpoints a lot. Mm -hmm. And my homegirl was on the car and and she was like, what's going on? And I was like, do not act nervous. I was like, they sense nervous. Mm -hmm. I was like, it's LAPD. Like I got so freaked out. Yeah. And she was like, she was like, okay, what do I do? I was like, just put your hands up girl. And if he tries to say anything, just be polite. And I was like, whoa, this is, I'm like, I'm the founder of black lives matter. That's like, this is how I still feel, you know, the, the lack of agency. So I just like, we all get the talk. We all are frightened by the police. And it's it's purposeful. They yeah. want us to be scared of them. Mm-hmm. That's mm. how you keep them in check. Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to quickly um, just just move on a little bit and ask you about the books that have influenced you oh, and yeah. influenced your 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 stance. Of course, life has influenced yeah. you and made you take yeah. the stance you have. But are there any books in particular oh, that really opened your eyes? And yeah, Audre Lorde's Sister Outsider. Yes. Mm. Oh yes. It was my Bible book. Mm. I literally would take it everywhere in high school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bell Hook, Sisters of the Yam. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to go back and read them because I feel like it would, I would feel so different now. But they were such formative books. I mean, I literally would carry around those two books everywhere I went. I would like open them up. Like I would like flip through the pages, close my eyes. I'd be like, what good stuff could I get? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, everything Octavia Butler. Every single you book know, I she read wrote. Kindred. Sorry? Is it Kindred? Yeah, Kindred. Yes. I haven't read it. It's I, so, I, so I, good. I, so I, good. I literally, I'm like, I have to read it. Have you so read good. Fledgling? No. 
What? I know. No. Okay, I'm gonna. Write... <laughs> okay, so our manager's here, yeah. and um, I just hope she writes these down because I'm gonna be like, can you send me copies yeah. of these? Literally everything, Octavia. Really, I literally I just downloaded. Um, there's like a trilogy that she did. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, have you read any? with Blood Child? Yes, 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 yeah. I just downloaded. It. I need to get. I need to get through that on my Kindle. But I've read Kindred. Yeah. I thought it was good. Uh, it was. You know what's so strange? Before I came across Kindred, because it wasn't really it was published in the UK then it went out of print for a long time mm-hmm. um, and for some reason I don't know why I did this but I was just googling time travel slavery <laughs> <laughs> like Octavia was whispering yeah, and, yeah honestly like, <laughs> she, was, she was like you have to read because exactly. like, well, it I, is time I kept thinking to myself what would it be like if someone went back yeah. to the planet yeah. wait what? no I, I just finished watching that's why mm-hmm. where um they they're called the time masters or something. They yeah. go back in time yeah. to a plantation and they they shoot they keep shooting oh. the massa. <laughs> so I thought someone must have written about this and yeah. then found Kindred, read it and I thought, wow, it, it's it's a very very frustrating book because okay. I just kept saying to myself, "Will you just kill this guy? Just kill him," no. and she wouldn't do no. it. Yep. You know that's what she does. Every book will do that to you with her. Though. Oh, really? Oh, god. I, okay, she I'm puts gonna... you in such uncomfortable places. Yes, and it's yes. so good. I'm gonna yes. have an Octavia Butler season. Yes. Yeah. I think I'm gonna do that that's because a... I've always wanted to, and I just the time had never presented itself. Yeah, so yeah. I'm gonna do it. You could just literally take her literature for a year and read all her books, and she's such a roadmap, okay. a roadmap for 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 Black folks, and because she's from my my the area not i grew up in la county is huge as hell mm-hmm. it's 10 million people so mm. but she grew up in la county so she references books and she references like a bunch of stuff yeah that's super amazing mm. okay okay cool. okay i know what to read now <laughs> i'm so excited yeah <laughs> all right um, um so just wrapping up this wrapping up this section, section here i just i want it to be a b- bit more hopeful i feel like we had a bit of a ooh, a very deep moment. Yeah. And now I want it to be a bit more hopeful. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously being part of the Black Lives Matter movement and then writing this book and then having to go on a book tour and literally it's, you must have to relive everything, everything over and over again. Get you not get to a point where you're just like, okay, I, I can't do anything a for a week. Tired now. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I got, a, I got a vacation schedule for myself and my family. Yeah. Oh, and, good. And okay. May. Do you yeah. know where you're going? Yeah, Myrtle Beach. Oh, where is that? It's a little beach town in the and um in the south. Mm. Okay. Um, it's a little. It's cute. Yeah. South Carolina. I am. Where is what state is New Orleans in? Because I'm really dumb. Louisiana. Well, I'm going there. That's amazing. I'm coming in uh, July for Essence Fest. I'll be there. Oh, hey, girl. <laughs> yeah, we should so, do a, we should do a mostly lit. Oh essence. my god! Yes, yes, I'm down for it. Listen, it's my first time going. Like, oh, you're gonna I, the first time I you're gonna have you're gonna get your whole life. So we're trying to do girls trip. So I've got a few oh, friends. Oh, you're gonna get there. your whole entire life. Okay, I'm excited. Oh, I'm excited for you. Yeah. Oh, okay. my family's from out in Louisiana. Really? They're from Eunice. They're from a little rural town, like two hours something. Yeah. Of, of New Orleans. I think they should invite me for dinner. Yeah, we should. We should. <laughs> I'd be like, more I got, to I eat. got, I got family there. I want to eat some food, some nice New Orleans. Um, just quickly going back to um, Sister Outside Love. Yeah. What was it about that book that kind of resonated with you well, to the point you're carrying it around with you everywhere? Amazingly. Well, because Audre Lorde becomes the first black lesbian who's like talking about black radical politics mm. and talking about the intersections and she's it felt like she wrote the book for my 16 year old self mm. I needed to hear another black I don't identify as lesbian I identify as queer but another black woman who was not a heterosexual mm. that was like talking about self care as a radical act who was talking about blackness and and she like and she's such a beautiful writer I mm. mean such a beautiful writer so her words would just like stick to like my chest every yeah. time i read them um and i you know when you're like a teenager you're dramatic so everything's over the top exactly <laughs> <laughs> everything you feel all the feelings and, <laughs> and she just made me feel all the feelings and she made me feel affirmed in yeah. who i was and um yeah what a what and because this is outside as a set of essays yeah, yeah. 
So um, every essay was just on point what I needed as a kid. Mm. I think mm. I might go back to read it. I know. I'm like, I gotta go back to read it. Yeah, I'm gonna do it. So, one thing that I read um, in the book, and I was kind of like, it it was really, I don't know why, it was just because obviously I read a lot of a lot of fiction, Mm -hmm. and the depictions always like you know straight white men and and whatnot. There's there's a bit where you're talking about um, when you first um, laid eyes on um, Mr. Johnson. Mark Anthony. Mark Anthony, yeah, and you're kind of just like, <laughs> what the fuck? Why am I? <laughs> this is, you know, this is a straight cis man. Yeah. Why am I attracted yeah. to him um, um, like that? Do you know what I mean? And so, in because obviously you said that you always knew you were, you know, you were queer yeah. as well. Was what kind? <laughs> what would you call that that moment? So that's a good. That's a very good question. And what I would come to realize is that my queerness. So. I grew up at a time where in my high school, and I have no idea, like we were all drinking a certain kind of water, but I literally, like 20 of us all came out at the same time, like 20 women of color, queer women of color. We, A lot of us got either kicked out of our homes or pushed out of our homes mm-hmm. or left our homes for safety reasons, but we became each other's family. and uh, And we all were sort of like unveiling our identities, you know, our, our multiple identities. And so I was very, like, I remember when I first came out, I was like, I'm a lesbian. Like, mm. <laughs> I never, like, I was very, like, a like a very, like, you know, screaming, like, lesbian. Yeah. And, and then I started to realize, like, oh, I actually, like, love everybody. Like, mm. and, um, and so for a long time, because I read Emma Goldman, that you should all read Emma mm-hmm. Goldman. So I started to identify as a free lover. And mm. and I was I think that irritated my my teachers a lot. Like, <laughs> what the hell is a free lover, Patrice? But this was this is me at sixteen. Yeah. Um. I burned my bra at sixteen. I mean, That's I was right. wild. I was a wild sixteen year old. I mm. shaved my head. My mom was crying her eyeballs out. <laughs> I I did a whole thing. I went through a whole transformation. And mm. so, um, I started to realize like, oh no, I'm a free lover. And then I got over that that category, and as I, I started to l- read queer theory and queer politics. Um, I started realizing, oh, I'm actually queer, and what I'm most interested in is challenging cis-normativity, heteronormativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and my relationship, even though it was with a heterosexual, um, even though Marty Anthony doesn't identify as heterosexual, even though it was with a cis man, mm. was a queer relationship. Right. And so there, the idea of queerness is um, much more evolved mm-hmm. um, and, and becomes much more evolved as I get older and I realize, oh, I... I, I cis men aren't the first um human beings I'm attracted to yeah. but I I can be attracted to them and I I would probably like if I were like on a panel and someone was like well what do you identify with outside of queer I would probably say I'm pansexual mm-hmm. right which is like you know many genders I'm attracted to many genders and many mm-hmm. identities how's the sort of american representation in the media um, evolving or changing with regards to queer identity because I feel like I was, I think when I was reading British, um, mm. there was a part where Shonda was like, well, you know what? Everyone's questioning me about why I'm so passionate about putting on these identities on television. Right. And there's this, like, people are thinking there is this obsession with me. Um, <laughs> with like, queer people. Exactly. Like, everyone yeah. has to be a lesbian or yeah. a gay there's, there's, man. There's, there's a gay agenda. Right, exactly. exactly. Right? Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, and exactly. she was like, she was like, I don't understand why people are talking to me about this because yeah. when you think about it, I'm just trying to make this the normal because it is Because it is. It yeah. is a There's so the many society. queer people and trans and people. So I'm like, mm. why are these not being put in the media? And is that changing right now? I mean, Shonda is kind of really holding She's the gun with it. She's trying really hard. But Sh- is it being picked up? Yeah, because I, it's interesting. I, I think Shonda has done a very good job. And I remember, you know, with Grey's Anatomy and her oh, yeah. and, and the coming out of um, Callie. Callie. That's not on the show anymore. Calliope. Oh, Calliope. man, I, I miss that. I know, me too. Um, and I was like, thank God. Yeah. Thank God it's something that's not, like, because we had the L word growing up, you know? So we would all, like, pile in my living room, all the all the, all the the queer kids, and we'd watch the L word, because that was the only shit we had. But the L word was terrible. Mm. It was, like, about a bunch of white, mostly rich lesbians mm-hmm. we, we none of us lived like that like didn't make any sense but it was oh, only yeah, representation I remember that show remember. yeah yeah so i think shonda has done a good a better job at yeah trying to be like this is, this is who normal. people are yeah. and then i think queen sugar is doing an interesting job mm-hmm. at that um ava duvernay's show uh she has a queer character and she has she she brought on a trans man character mm-hmm. 
but it's still not enough mm. especially yeah. black characters like they're, they're still just diamond like not 3D yeah, very ex- much still doing that black role the best friend the yeah the, mm. yeah the person I, I, that dies first exactly like I'm looking forward to like when a queer woman of color is like the lead in, mm. in a show and you get to see her friends and her relationships and how complicated it is uh, but that that It'll happen. Yeah. It, it just ain't I think it, it happened uh, in a few episodes of uh, Black As Lightning. You Get Away with Mad- Murder. Oh, right, okay. When, oh, you're right. When yeah. um, Viola yeah. was attracted, she, she literally had a, a, she, a relationship with yeah. this woman. Yeah. And I was like, yes. Yeah. I was yeah. really happy about that. Like, yeah, she's that trying. A, like, Shonda's really... No, she's. I think she's, she's, doing, a, she's doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, but she can't be the only one. Exactly. And she kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's taking on a lot. Cool. Okay, well... Just rounding off that section, um, I have no gem today. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'll have another one next week. Um, but Ray, your your issue My today? My issue. Okay, so social media has been going absolutely wild on the fact that um, Bruno Mars is appropriating black music. I think he he had a quote that um, he I'm said, not going to lie to you. I thought Bruno Mars was mixed race. I thought Bruno Mars was mixed race, but he. I feel like he is, but. Is he black? You feel like he is, but is he though? Okay. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Is he? Um, Google. I don't, <laughs> Everyone's so, Googling like, is Bruno Mars mixed? Is he mixed? I think I've Googled this several times. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, there's Hispanic. There's, yeah. there's a lot of, but anyway, so he um said something. He said, mm-hmm. um, when you say black music, understand that you are talking about rock, jazz, R&B, reggae, funk, doo-wop, hip-hop, and Motown. Black people created it, or even salsa music mm. stems back to the motherland, Africa. So in my word, in my world, black music means everything. Okay. Okay, so that's what he says. Yeah. And people are being, are going crazy, saying, well, you know what? You're winning all of these awards, yeah. but you're not, you're not really what? paying homage still, or saying... But that is paying homage. Okay, but my own thing is, I... I think this argument is whack, right? I feel like personally, it sounds Bruno like an Mar- all lives matter argument. I'm just yeah, mm. I feel like I don't, I don't know, because I quite like Bruno Mars. Yeah, and I don't know what he needs. Like, what does he need to do? When did when did people start saying this? I mean, when he dropped, when he came with, you know, that grenade song at his first album and whatnot, were people really saying I don't this? No, they or is it this is it no. this funk thing they're not it, really it feeling? Is, yeah. It's the funk thing. Yeah, right. it's the, it's what's happening now and what he's winning awards for now. Yeah. I think because yeah. you know, like Grammys, he was he dominated that um, yeah. this year. So so what, the, is, what are people saying they want him to do? This is it. Like this is the question. What can he do? You know that Twitter don't tell you what to do. It no, just they just rant about it, right? Yeah. And it reminded me. It actually reminded me of um, Keith. Was it? What's her name? Rita Ora here. Yes. And I thought Rita Ora was mixed race, like when I was younger. Oh yeah, yeah. But she's um, she's she's not black at all. Yeah, she's not. She's she's, she's European. She's Eastern, Eastern European. European. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I was like, yeah, girl, like homegirl, you know, <laughs> like she's a black woman. But yeah, that's not it. But I'm, I'm like, okay, what do you guys want Bruno Mars to? do? I think, I, I mean, I understand. Do you want him to have like a this, this, this uh, latest song is, um, you know, inspired by? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I understand. It. I mean, I get the argument. Yeah, you know, I get them. the argument. But I think with when the arguments come from Twitter, they really pick and choose who they. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like somebody like Adele, mm. who's, can, she's a great singer. But someone made the point that loads of black women can sing like that. Mm. And they're not, getting, they're not the, getting the attention that yeah. Adele is getting. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but there's no onslaught on Adele. There's not, because there's, she's a national treasure. Well, well, exactly. Do you know what I mean? It, 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 but I mean, I completely understand the argument. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you get people like James Bay who really say, oh, it's, it's just music. It's not it's black, music. music. It's not black and music. And we're giving mobile awards to uh-huh. Jennifer Lopez and stuff like that. It's, it's, a, bit, it's a bit weird, <laughs> but... I, yeah, I get the argument, but like you said, Twitter just tells you what's wrong with the world. They don't tell you how yeah. to fix it. So. so that was my issue today, Bruno. Um, I don't know what you can do, but maybe just say where your music is inspired from. <laughs> He's inspired you, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Okay, cool. That's my issue. Cool. Well, coming to the end of the oh, show. Man, we, we really enjoyed having you here. Yeah, Thank thanks you. a lot I for coming. I got all emotional. <laughs> yeah, I'm... I'm all for it. And thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Okay. When, are you, when are you leaving? Next Friday. Right, okay. I, I leave on Saturday, like, but the tour ends Friday. Tour ends Friday. Friday. I was actually going to say, she leaves next Friday, and then I yeah. realized, oh, I probably know too much information. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah, let her say it. But, are, you coming, um, are you coming back for the paperback, yeah? 
Ooh, oh, please do. I don't know. It depends on the team if they want me to. Oh, okay. Well, we'll please talk to your team. team and yeah, we'll talk to your team. <laughs> 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 Try to sort something out. Yeah. Is that a thing? People do another yeah, corporate yeah. paperback? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> She's coming back, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a sponsored by Mostly Lit. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, but no, thank you so much. Where can they find you if anybody wants to find you on social media? Like, whereabouts? Um, I'm handles? at... O-S-O-P-E-P-A-T-R-I-S-S-E. My mom switched it up. Patrice is spelled with two S's, not an E. Mm. On Twitter and Instagram. I'm on Twitter for sure, but I love Insta. That's where I I roll. And I also have a Facebook page, but you know, who really does that? Um, But you can like my public figure page. It's on there, (laughs) Patrice Colors. And um, I have a website, patricecolors.com, where I show all the latest, my art, because I'm also an artist. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, the work that I'm doing you can follow me there yeah cool thank you and the book is called When They Call You a Terrorist you a, terrorist. a Black Lives Matter memoir yeah published by Canon Gate Books yes Yay. great thank you, thank so, you much, so much guys um, you know where to find us at Mostly Lit on Twitter at Mostly Lit Pod on Instagram you can find us all individually I'm at Reckless Ray and Derek do you finally have a Twitter um, yes I'm at Guardian Derek <laughs> okay, thank you. finally have a Twitter <laughs> yeah. you can find um, um, Alex also he'll be back hopefully in the coming week um yeah. thank you so much for listening thank you and bye bye guys <laughs> hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.